Broadcasting live from Global Headquarters and RP Enterprises in Greenwood, Missouri. Stand by on this frequency. After 22 years of entertaining FM radio listeners across the U.S., across the U.S., this man is the owner and executive producer of the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman's Channel, CEO and founder of Dumar Chemical Solutions, and the man behind the mic of Papa Ron Radio Voiceovers and Production. He's the man, the myth, the legend, a global icon, future Nobel Prize winner, and of course he paid me to say all this. Really? Literally. Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's your host, Ronnie Phillips. Ronnie Phillips. Well, I got to say that if there was ever a time that we've been doing this podcast in the last 22 episodes, Rolling With The Changes is definitely a pretty good theme song that's relatable with this week because there has been a challenge inside of me for several weeks, even the last few months, to do an episode like this. But I haven't done it up until now because of fear (laughs) and the fear of maybe what the backlash would be or the response would be what would people think what would people of my past who knew me from my sinful days what would they say <laughs> if i did an episode wait that's me like <laughs> yeah I what would Jill- sinful days. what would jillian say welcome to Aww. episode 22 of the papa ron podcast our pastor at abundant life pastor phil hopper yay welcome this, this is, is so cool to have you here. Honey, I'm so honored I get to be here. I'm glad you are because really, really. I am the one who feels incredibly honored and I know Jill feels the same way. Yeah. So um, sure. I wanted, I guess you guys know, but I think it's important to probably set this all up for, for how we got here today. And if anyone has ever listened to the first episode of the Papa Ron podcast, they know that I had a story that I came open with about my struggle with depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation uh, that all came to a head back in January. That would be January of 2022, who, for those who might be listening this a few months later, um, and uh, through the course of all this and understanding that me internalizing all of this shame and, and just yuck this, I'll call it yuck, this yuck Mm -hmm. feeling that I was Mm -hmm. having inside. I was internalizing it for two years after all of these things that I had experienced, um, through COVID and losing a, you know, a great paying, uh, job. And and then all of these other little hits along the way that I, I learned that I needed to come clean and no longer internalize and allow people to love me and allow people and friends to lift me up. And in the course of that, Um, I was challenged by a friend, uh, who I talk about all the time, Dakota Thurn, who is part of Heartland Waterfowl and Marathon Media Management. He was the one along with a few others who inspired me to do this podcast, Mm -hmm. thinking that it would give me an opportunity to get back, uh, doing something that I'm good at. It would allow me to feel like I have purpose in life again. Mm -hmm. So I do this and it's working. I'm, I'm doing things and I'm telling my story It's medicine for me, but in the process, I'm finding out that I'm helping other people. People are reaching out and telling me, man, I can relate to this. I'm, I can't walk into work. I'm wiping tears off my face because um, I too have been internalizing depression. So fast forward a couple of weeks, I meet with a friend in Pleasant Hill at the creamery for lunch. Yep. I'm going to, I'll, I'll call him Aaron. 
My friend Aaron is excited that I'm doing the podcast. And he says, you know, Aaron, or he says, you know, Ronnie, I think this is a great opportunity for you to talk about Jesus. Mm. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I'm a believer. Screech did the, did the breaks. Uh, yeah. Right. Screech it was like that. e-break, e-break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that I'm ready for that, Aaron. Mm-hmm. He was like, well, pray about it. You know? So time goes on again. That was after episode two or three. Yep. And now here we are at episode 22. And a few weeks ago, I was sitting in abundant life, listening to pastor Phil do a sermon on it was the last sermon on the book of Daniel, mm-hmm. which we'll get into that here in a little bit, <clears throat> but it hit me between the eyes. And then the next series after that was talking about being evangelistic and, and spreading the word of God. Right. Finding your purpose and your calling and uh, doing what you're supposed to do. Yes. With it. Yep. And I'm telling you the tug on my heart was like, I got to do this. I got to do this, but I may be not qualified mm-hmm. to be the one to do this. Luckily I had, somewhat built a relationship with Pastor Phil. We met him in church a couple times. He, Michael Hunsucker from Heartland Bowhunter and I actually had the privilege of hunting together one evening where I what? got to see Pastor Phil just whack Pretty the cool. heck out of a doe. Hey, the best fellowship and best worship happens in a deer blind. <laughs> That's what my husband <laughs> right says. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So it was great. <laughs> it was great. Great time. That's so good. luckily, That's you know, good. there that that uh, that relationship was formed to where I had I guess not initially in the beginning that I have the comfort to go and approach you about becoming or coming onto the podcast, but after a few of those sermons and feeling that challenge in my heart, um, I what do I have to lose? Right. And I had his number because I had a picture of all of us and I had to text him the picture. That was a, that's a great way to get your pastor's number, by the yeah. way, take a picture with him and have him say, Hey, send me that picture. Right now I honey. got his number. Take me honey. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Exactly. So, um, w- Look, that, that is how we got here today. Um, I would like to, uh, we're going to talk, Phil has a great story, you know, from his upbringing to where he went to college and what he did at college to what he did as a career before becoming a pastor. So I want to, I want to get into all that, but I want this episode for those who are listening, who can, who is ever related or connected um, on some emotional level because of my story. This episode is intended to be uh, inspirational and empowering to lift you up. Uh, and not just you, anybody who's going through depression or anxiety or suicidal ideation, but in any struggle mm-hmm. that you might be having in mm-hmm. life. So that is the, that is the intention of this particular episode, but we do have a short amount of time with pastor Phil. So <laughs> let's dive into it. Pastor Phil, thank you again for being here. Where are you from? And tell us about how you were raised. Yeah. So I am actually from South Kansas City, Missouri. I didn't get very far from home. Uh, Home growing up was uh, South Kansas City, but my second home was my granddad's farm in Southern Missouri. Okay. Deep in the Ozarks. So that's kind of where I grew up to love the outdoors. So I absolutely love, you know, all the bucks and ducks that are everywhere. Good. Man, I just uh, grew up uh, enjoying that part of life and couldn't do enough of it. But I didn't get far from home. I'm from South Kansas City, Ronnie. Okay. So raised in a Christian home, church going home by truly, truly godly parents that were really, really not just good, but truly godly people, God-fearing. And so um, I was raised in the faith, so to speak. I was I was raised to... Uh, to know Jesus and follow him. But I think like a lot of kids, Ronnie, when you're raised in church, um, uh, Jesus can just be kind of academic. 
<laughs> it's not real. Yep. It's just one more class you go to, mm-hmm. right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Or you're checking boxes. Oh, yeah, right? totally you checking know? boxes. Yeah. yeah, going through the motions. Uh, so by the time I was a teenager, uh, I was what I described, Luke chapter 15, Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son. All right, the prodigal son leaves the father's house in rebellion, cashes out, says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me. I'm leaving. He does. The father lets him walk away, goes into a far country, it says, squanders all his wealth, uh, living now in a pig pen. And, of course, in Jesus' day, Jews considered pigs unclean animals. He's using images purposely so that his listeners will be absolutely repulsed, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I remember throwing, you know, corn to the pigs with my grandpa. That's not mm-hmm. bad. But if you were a Jew in the ancient days, this would have been just abominable. So here's this this Jewish man now. He's slopping hogs. He's literally eating with the pigs in the pig pen. And that's a picture, ultimately, what happens when we choose to live in sin and rebellion against him. It always leads to the same outcome. And I would just encourage any of your listeners, Ronnie, even if you're not a person of faith and you don't really have a religious affiliation, um, you know, just, just maybe give this podcast a chance. Just give it a shot and just listen. I mean, Ronnie, what I love about you is you're not going to push anything on anybody. You're not going to force, you know, Jesus down anybody's throat, but it's a part of your story. And uh, I think it's phenomenal that you'll use your platform to tell this part of your life. This is part of your story, very instrumental part of your story. And every single human being, every single one of us have a pulpit. You come and listen to me in my pulpit on a weekly basis, but every human being has a pulpit. Mm -hmm. You have a platform. It just depends on what you're going to use it for. And so I appreciate using this platform to share this part of your story. And it's, it's a part of my story. and. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm 15, 16. There I am. I'm in I'm in rebellion against God, uh, and I I would go out drinking, partying, getting drunk uh, on a Saturday night, and then get up and go to church on Sunday morning just because my mom was that tough. Mm-hmm. It was just easier to get up and go and sleep through it than just decide <laughs> I'm not going. Just but by the time I went off to University of Kansas. Can I ask you a question real quick of about your rebellion you before you get to KU? Uh, of course you can. Um, was, your, was your desire to conduct yourself that way at that age to, in rebellion of your parents because they were so strict or was it because all of your other friends were doing it and it was the cool thing to do or maybe it was both? I mean, do you remember oh, why you, you... Oh, yeah, sure. I, I think all of my friends were doing this and I didn't want to be left out. Today they call it FOMO. <laughs> right. Fear of missing out. I yeah. didn't want to miss out. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible's so pragmatic. It's not just theological. It's very practical. You know what it says in the book of Hebrews? It says that sin is fun for a season. <laughs> if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. True. There'd be no temptation to it. True. I was having fun. Yeah. It is fun. Uh, somebody once told me, um, Pastor Phil, I can't imagine why anybody even goes out drinking. To which I responded, that sounds like somebody who never went out drinking. <laughs> I, I You're why, like, you should have known me when I was 16 years old. I, I could have showed you a really I, good time. I know why people go out drinking. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. What, what they don't tell you about is the next day. Yeah. Yeah, I remember coming home and getting out of bed and literally throwing up in the laundry. Mm. 
because I couldn't make it to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And all the bad decisions you learn to regret from having been there, right? That that was where I was at the time. I didn't want to miss out. How did your How did your mom? Well, you're. I remember just you in church talking about your parents, but your mom was she was a firecracker, right? She, I mean, how how did she handle you? I mean, she had to know. It was she did know, and and what's what's amazing is a few years ago before my mom died, what's amazing is to be in your forties and debrief with your parents. Oh man, like mom, what were you thinking? Uh-huh. <laughs> I brought up something we had not talked about in years. I was a senior. My brother was a junior. We way past curfew. It's like two o'clock in the morning. We'd both been out drinking. And my goodness, by the grace of God, I don't know how many times, guys. I I, I hate I hate to admit this out loud, but this is where I was in life. I don't know how many times I was DUI. Mm-hmm. And by the grace of God, He protected me from myself. Yep. We get home. She's up. She's waiting for us. She comes, follows us into our bedrooms. Bends down to smell my brother's breath, immediately smells alcohol. Have you been drinking? And immediately I respond, I'm going to save the situation. This is what came out of my mouth. Somebody punched the spike. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it didn't come out oh. quite like I intended. She knew what you meant. She knew you what sure I yeah. came out like meant that. Or was to it, say. Somebody punched spike the punch. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk about this in the morning. Mm. And I kept waiting all day for her to bring it up. I thought I was granted for life. Like, I'm dead. I'm so dead. Yeah. She never brought it up. And years later, when I had kids that were teenagers, I brought it up. I said, Mom, you remember that night? Of Mm -hmm. course I do. So why didn't you ground me for the rest of my life? Like, I was just, why, why did you respond the way you did? Here's what she said. She said, son, we knew, your dad and I knew that we had lost you. That you were at the age, you were going to make your own decision, you were going to do what you wanted to do, and there was really nothing we were going to do to stop you. And I felt like the harder we would push, the faster you would run. So I began to pray. And I'm convinced to this day my mama prayed me back to Jesus. I remember her sharing something in church on a Mother's Day years ago. I never knew this till she shared it with our church. She was at the time trying to make a little second income. My dad was a he was a Teamsters union man. He worked on a loading dock at Owens Corning Fiberglass, driving a forklift, loading eighteen wheelers for forty one and a half years, hmm. on sixteen hour shifts, never complained. And she uh, she got a she got a job trying to make a little extra money, and she was selling funeral plans. Hmm. Um. And and she told our church that season of life, she actually went out to the cemetery where it was quiet, hmm. nobody else around. In the middle of that cemetery, she pled for my life. She pled for her son to come back to Jesus. And God answered her prayer, not then, but it was it was several years later, but God answered her prayer. So that was what she said, Ronnie. And she's probably right. At that point, I, I was going to do what I wanted. I I had decided that I was missing out, and I knew I needed Jesus when I died. I just wasn't dead. Yeah. Right. I knew I needed Jesus to get into heaven. I never doubted that. <laughs> right. So, so did I'm you not use, ready to go to heaven yet. Right. Did you use the logic that I think we've all used at some point, like, Jesus is in my heart. He's forgiven all my past sins and every sin I w-. So what difference does it make, right? 
Yeah, there was some logic there. <laughs> I mean, like just kind of justification, Absolutely. right? It's justification. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I knew I needed him eventually. Yeah. Just not right now. Right. I wanted to live my life and do what I wanted. And when I went off to KU, I was living the dream. I was literally living the dream. I went off Loop 15 to the far country, Lawrence, Kansas, <laughs> which I lived in such a small world at the time, South Kansas City, it might as well have been three states away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really did feel like oh, I'm a long way. Of course, these were the day before uh, cell phones and sure. texting and instant messaging. Tracking devices. Remarkably, and, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it really was a way. Um, but I'm living the dream. Division one scholarship football player. I didn't realize how bad Kansas was till I got there. People ask, "Why'd you go to Kansas?" Mm. I tell them, "You don't. You don't go to play for a school. You go to play for a coach." Glenn Mason. It was actually Bob Valacini that recruited me. Okay. Hmm. Bob Valacini had a two year run. He got fired my first year, <sighs> and then I played for Glenn Mason. Okay. And that's yeah. where the program actually started. It, it did. It did. We and were you mad. guys had some players too. You had uh, Stubblefield oh, yeah. and These guys Gilbert. Were great. And, Gilbert Brown. Yeah, Gilbert Brown. Went on to play Packers, right? For the Packers, and of course Stubblefield. Forty uh, ers Phenomenal career. Yeah. So that team was, you know, it was loaded. It was legit in the in the Glenn Mason years, and he really did turn things around. We were mad we lost by Valcini. But it was looking back, it was the right thing. Mm-hmm. They needed a coach like Glenn Mason. He was a hard nose. He was not a player's coach. He was not a fun coach to play for. But really? I'm surprised to hear that. When you see him in post game interviews, he seems like a very charismatic, funny guy, but not not <laughs> not behind not in the locker room, huh? He was not your papa. Okay. He wasn't a bad person. Was what the program probably he, he needed, just too. He knew what it was going to take to take a losing culture, turn it into a winning culture. So when I say not a player's coach, if he didn't feel like we were practicing hard enough, we are loafing, you'd hear a whistle go off, and you know what that meant. Your whole team up at 5 a.m., mm-hmm. you're going to run clear across campus. You're going to run, if you know anything about Lawrence, there's a, there's a bar that's still there to this day called the Wagon Wheel. Okay. Sits at the bottom of a hill. That hill goes up to the student union. That hill, I don't know. It, it's probably not a 45-degree, but it's long and it's steep, steep. and we were going to run that hill <laughs> till we thought we were going to die. And then we we're going to run that hill till we wish we would die. Mm. I mean, that, that's, that, that was what, it, you know, when he, he, he came in, he said, uh, we're going to separate the winners from the losers, and uh, a lot of you are going to quit the team in the next year. And guess what? Sure. A third of the team quit. I believe oh, they wow. did quit. But I, um, I'm a sports geek, so I got to ask some of the sports questions. Uh, the Dana Stubblefields, the Gilbert Browns, were they recruited by Mason, or did they come in with the? I can't remember the. They, coaches they would have been in Mason's first class. Oh wow, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Where did he come from? Glenn Mason came from Kent State. Okay. And he had some success at Kent State. It gave him kind of a reputation as a fix-it man. He turned that kind of a mid-major around. And then he did the same thing at Kansas. Yep. And, of course, then he went up to Minnesota. Well, he almost went to Georgia. He did. What happened there? That was the weirdest thing. He took the Georgia job and then uh, reneged uh, one week later. And if you want to know the truth, it probably had to do with custody. By the time he was divorced, oh, and I think it had to do with moving out of state with his uh, uh, 
custody situation with his son, mm-hmm. truthfully. Okay. Uh, but that that was kind of the downturn for because then the kids knew they were like, "Oh, this guy's on his way out." He's not committed to yeah. the future. They went four and seven the next year, his last year, and he took the Minnesota job, and he did the same thing in Minnesota. He did. They, he had a great in a run. decade there. They went to seven bowls. Yep. And for Minnesota in the Big Ten, that was that was really doing something. Did you play in that uh, Aloha Bowl? Where you where was that? That was the first year after I was done running. Oh. That was the first time KU went yeah. to a bowl in years. In years and years. Yeah. But there's things I say today I remember from Glenn Mason. Uh, you know, football really does prepare a lot. <laughs> if you're paying attention, there's a lot of life lessons. I, I remember when a bunch of guys quit. My own roommate quit. One of my best friends on the team quit. They just disappeared. They drove off in the night. And no, didn't tell anybody. Hmm. And he gets to team meetings, sees all these guys gone, and says, does anybody here know where these guys are? Speak up now. I stood up. And I said this. Nobody knew. I knew. But they didn't tell any coaches. It disappeared in the night. And you knew because you were a roommate. I knew because I was a roommate. They wanted me to quit, too. Gotcha. They wanted me to go, too. And I remember him saying. Did you think about it? Did you consider it? Oh, I considered it. I did consider it. Part of it is be careful who you run with. Be careful yeah. who your inner circle is. Yeah. Because uh, they will have influence on your thinking. And so this is kind of my guys that, I mean, they're my friends. Mm-hmm. And they're leaving the team. And we weren't very good. It was not what we thought it would be. It was, you know, I remember Bob Allison,i saying, I think we will be in the Orange Bowl by your fifth year senior. Little did I know it would be 20 years later. <laughs> 2008 too late for me we yep. did make it wasn't five years it was 20 but yeah. see I, I i knew i knew kansas was down i didn't realize how far they were down and these it didn't look like anything we i thought it would when i got there you're on a losing team it's a losing program it's not as fun as i thought it would be especially after year one i've had some injuries what kind of injuries? Well, I had year one, I blew out my ACL, had mm. it reconstructed. Yeah. Came back and played year two, my, um, shoulder, labrum, tear. Oh, Still man. have a screw in my shoulder this long. Really? Yeah. So, but I remember Glenn Mason saying, I actually, believe it or not, go back to my dad. I called home in the middle of all that. These guys are quitting, leaving. I actually was thinking, you know, maybe I'll just move home and go to UMKC. Mm, okay. <laughs> I'll just quit football. Right. Let me tell you something. My blue collar, hard working, double shift pulling dad, he wasn't having none of no, it. No, mm. my dad wouldn't either. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have heard the you you could have heard the air, you know, cut with a knife. It's you know, over the phone. It's like I wasn't getting any sympathy from my from my dad. Yeah, oh, back yeah. then that yeah. era of, of fathers yeah. or grandfathers even, they like you mm-hmm. committed to something, no. you saw it through. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He, you know, here here's a guy that worked ne- I never heard him complain. So here I am. I'm on a I'm on a full ride scholarship. Mm-hmm. I've got a training table. You know, I'm not talking dorm food here. I've got tutors. I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah, he he was so, but then I remember Glenn Mason saying something. I've 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 repeated this day. If you quit now, you'll quit the rest of your life. Mm. Another, he said, quitting becomes easier. The more you quit, the easier it gets to quit. You quit now, 
you'll quit the next thing too. Yep. And he's spot on right. That's how mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Quitting becomes a habit. Um, so, so I'm so thankful I stayed through all the adversity. You didn't get any backlash for speaking up and telling the coach where these guys no. were. Okay. No, I didn't know if no. that's where you were going with this. No, no, no. Some, um, these are guys now they're in the locker room. These guys have stayed. Sure. If there's any backlash it's these guys that have left in the middle of the night, didn't even tell anybody. Did any of them come back Yeah, or try to come no. back? Nope. They were no. gone. They were gone. I literally never saw them again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah. so you, we thank you for um, allowing me to ask all the sports stuff because I'm a sports <laughs> geek, <clears throat> but um, you said you, you were living the high life. You, you know, obviously you were living in this rebellion mode from your high school days and now you're on to KU full ride scholarship. What takes place while you're there outside of the sports? Well, here's, here's, here's the amazing thing. And there's a, there's a biblical promise in Hebrews chapter 12. Okay. This is whom the Lord loves. He chastens and scourges every son that he receives. And he that is without chastening is an illegitimate son or an illegitimate child. What that scripture says is, is if you're really a child of God, and, and, and you're, you're a child of God if, in fact, you put your faith in the Son of God. A lot of people think, well, we're all God's children. Right. Not true. Okay. That's why Jesus said twice in John 3, you must be born again. Because uh-huh. you're born the first time physically. I was born the first time the son of a man named Van. I wasn't born a son of God. I was born a, a son of a man named Van. Jesus was teaching your physical birth is not enough. To become a child of God, you need a second birth, a spiritual birth. And you're born again, says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, when you receive him, when you receive him uh, by faith that he died for your sin, that he rose again, you then are born into God's family. That's what it says in John 1, 12. So, mm-hmm. So if you're really born again, like there's been a moment in your life that you've truly received Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you believe he died for your sin, he rose again, you've become a child of God. And what Hebrews 12 says is, if you really are a child of God, you may sin, but you won't win. You may have a blast, but it won't last. Mm -hmm. You may backslide, but you're going to slide back up again. Okay? Mm -hmm. It may take years. Yeah. But you can run, but you can't hide. So here I am. Uh, I'm in my third year at KU, and uh, I'm, I've been running from God a long time, but you can't outrun him. Mm-hmm. He's going to pursue you. Had you been baptized before going oh, to KU? I, oh, yeah, I'd been baptized. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was wrestling with God, wouldn't give up, wouldn't give in. But I had the sense of there has to be a day of reckoning. Like, the direction I'm going in life, it can't last forever because I know the truth. I never abandoned the truth. I never really had a crisis of faith. Like, gee, I, I don't know for sure that Jesus really is who he said he is or that he did what we think he did. I just didn't want to live with the truth. I didn't want the accountability of the truth. It's like, God, don't call me. I'll call you. And so... Uh, I began to come under conviction by the time I'd been there uh, two or three years, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the chastening. Mm -hmm. In the same way you got little ones, you disciplined them Mm -hmm. because you love them. Mm -hmm. 
You're not going to let them do something that's dangerous. Hang on, I got to mark that. Uh, so the 27th minute, I just have to play that back for my daughter, who's nine. Just do, do a timestamp right there. <laughs> yeah, right. 27 minutes. This is what Pastor Phil said. Yeah, yeah, I digress. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, if you didn't love them, you'd let them do whatever they want. Right. Yep. The fact that you do love them means you will discipline them in whatever manner you think is best as their father. Mm-hmm. Um, because you care about them. You want them to grow up to be healthy and happy. Well, God feels the same way about his kids, mm-hmm. his children. So I'm already under conviction. And I remember there was a campus missionary, a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called Crew. Uh, and it's on thousands of campuses all over the world. It's a Christian campus mi- ministry. And I'd met one of these Campus Crusade guys, campus missionaries, I remember having a, a coffee appointment with him one morning in the student union, and I'm completely hungover. <laughs> and he says, Phil, I think the devil is working so hard to keep you because he knows what you could do mm. if he ever lost you. He knows how God could use your life if you ever just surrendered and sold out and gave everything to Jesus. What do you think gave him the confidence to say that? I mean, how well did you know this person? I didn't know him that well at all. But those words ring very prophetic even today. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen this man in years. Hmm. So it was December of 1989. I had that breakfast or that, that coffee appointment late in that semester, that fall semester. A couple of weeks later, I would be leaving to go back home for Christmas break. And uh, I think I, I'd probably shared with him kind of, I'm under conviction. I'm, I'd, I'd love to get my life right with Jesus and align, but it's really hard once you, it's hard to realign yourself when you've been in a pattern, mm-hmm. Amen you've been that. in a rut, call it what you want, but you've done it for so long. It, it's kind of all, you know, yep. Well, and it yeah. doesn't just involve you because when you go back to college, it's going to involve all your friends. As we like to say, there are times you want you <laughs> want to change your life. Sometimes you need a new playground and new playmates. Yeah. Yep. Because I, I mean, I knew my playground well, and I only had a few set of playmates. And I don't mean the kind I played football with. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. So I really wanted by that time. I was under enough conviction. I wanted to pursue a godly life, but I, I, as much as I tried over and over again, I'm on this merry-go-round of failure and promising God, I'll never do that again. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, there I'd be. That was me at the time. I probably lamented to him a little bit at the time. Like this is, I really want to, I just don't know how to. Mm-hmm. So a couple of weeks later, I'm, I'm going back home for Christmas break. I'm 21 years of age, December of 1989. 435 in state line right here in Kansas City. And I think about it still when I go across 435 in state line. That's where everything changed. Mm. Coming home from school, I'm in a 1978 Camaro. The tracks in the snow tell the story. It had been snowing that day. I'm in the inside lane, the lane my dad always told me never, never drive in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I get edged off by an 18-wheeler semi that's changing lanes, and my tracks hit the snow. I go completely out of control. I'm doing 360s. I cross over the median. I go into oncoming traffic on the interstate, completely out of control, doing 360s. I cross back over the median, 
onto the eastbound lanes where I was. And it's amazing, as you always hear in these life and death situations, time seems to slow down. And what takes only maybe milliseconds seems to go into slow-mo. It really is. It was like slow-mo. The things you have time to think about in those short milliseconds is amazing. At that moment, I look up. I see another 18-wheeler coming. And I absolutely know I'm not escaping. It's going to hit me. And I remember literally resigning my life in that moment. I knew I was going to die. I resigned my life. I'm not walking away from this. And the last thing I thought right before impact, I know there's a heaven. I know there's a hell. I don't know where I'm going, but I guess I'm going to know now. That was literally my last thought before collision. I don't know where I'm going, but I guess I'm going to know now. Because here's the, I was raised in church. I knew the truth. Yeah. I never denied the truth. I just didn't want to live for the truth. But when you're living in that much sin, Mm. you can't be certain you're a Christian. Mm. That was my, like, how can I really be a Christian and be living in this much sin? I wasn't even sure of my own salvation. Like, Mm. I didn't know, sure, am I going to heaven? In that moment, I didn't know. But I knew I was about to find out. I was going to open my eyes in eternity, and I did not know what I would see. And as you can see, I lived. <laughs> Praise yeah. Lord. As you can see, yeah. I lived. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I walked away from that crash that day. Shouldn't have. I mean, that 18-wheeler rolled over the top of my car from the firewall forward, destroyed. From the firewall back, wasn't touched. Wow. So I tell mm. people that day I lived, but that is actually the day I died. I went home that day. I got on my bedroom floor. You were able to go home. I walk. I, I the the tow, the tow truck driver gave me a ride home. Unbelievable. Mm. I got on my bedroom floor, guys. I got on my knees. I repented of my sin. I tell that is the day I died. Mm-hmm. But when I stood to my feet, somebody new lived. <laughs> I tell people that is the day I died. And to the degree you fully die, you will come fully alive. And I was never more alive that day in 1989. I went to a funeral that changed my life forever. That funeral was mine. Hmm. Somebody died on that bedroom floor that day. And when I stood up, somebody new lived. And I've never looked back. I've followed Jesus ever since. It was, it was a radical change. Like, I did go back to school, and my friends didn't know me. Wow. I mean, they're like, what happened to you? Why, and why don't you go out drinking with us like you used to? And you know what I told one of them? I said, I'm tired of being a hypocrite. Mm. And you know what? He got it. Now he still went out drinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But here's the point. He like, okay, I can respect that. Mm. What people can't respect is a hypocrite. Right. Say one thing, do another. Right. Even people that don't agree, they might not agree, but they can still respect you. I mean, he, he you know, uh, that, you know, I'm trying to live out now what I say I am. I'm a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, listen, I, I don't think having a drink is a sin, just for mm-hmm. clarity here. Mm-hmm. Right. You, want to have a, you want to have a beer with a hamburger, that's it, it's not a sin. But at my, that time of my life, drinking was for one reason. Right. Get hammered. Yeah, I was going to get hammered. That's what it was for. That's mm-hmm. all I knew. I didn't know you could just have one drink. Was it, You can do that. Mm-hmm. So, so let me so see. So can you have let- two? 
Well, you know, that will depend on you. <laughs> right, right. What I will say, it's I'm a, just it's, asking <laughs> the questions that the other people on the end of the speaker are like wanting right. to ask. If you, you want to know the truth, What's Ephesians the 5.18 says, be not drunk with wine, or I think beer would count, right. wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea you cannot be controlled by the Spirit of God in you if you're being controlled by other spirits, let yeah. me just say, mm-hmm. wine and spirits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, here's the point. The, the moment you get under the influence of any intoxicating substance, you're now in sin because you're no longer completely under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what the teaching is. So, okay. hmm. you know, yep. some, Makes it, sense. It, it may be two beers for one person. It may be a half a beer for another. I, I don't know. But here's the point. It's not a, I don't want your, your listeners to think it's a sin to have a, a glass of wine with, mm-hmm. with your spaghetti. But for me at the time, it had to be something I completely abandoned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because That's you weren't what, one of those that you could just turn it off. It was like you got into one and you're into oh, 12. Yeah. I, I was all in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so hmm. it was a radical transformation. Was it just the part? Le- sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Was sorry. it, was it just the party atmosphere or do you, would you consider, were you an alcoholic or, I mean, were you addicted to alcohol or was it, you just liked the, the the party this is atmosphere. What I would tell people that I don't know for sure I was an alcoholic, but I never remember drinking without getting drunk. Okay. So you draw your own conclusions. Hmm. Maybe I love getting drunk and I really was an alcoholic. But what I would say is that at the age of 21, as a young adult, I was setting a course in life that was on a pathway of destruction. Yeah. It was only a matter of time where I would have become an alcoholic if I wasn't one. Hmm. I was setting a direction in life of addiction mm-hmm. in a number of ways, alcohol just being one. Mm. And had Jesus not intercepted my life at 21 with an 18-wheeler semi, yeah. I shudder to think where I might be today. Wow. I mean, really. That's how much the Lord loves you. He allows horrible sometimes things to happen to you because he knows if he doesn't, there's something worse yet. On the other side, hmm. he wants to get our attention, whatever it takes to shake us loose from whatever we're hanging on to where we should be hanging on to him. Yeah. So you have this radical change and this would be your junior year at KU. Yeah. <clears throat> and so were you able then, were you, how do I ask this? Were you able then to network into a new set of friends who were spiritually on the same wavelength as you were, or were you now in a, or are you a loner or are you going through a kind of a, because even at 21, you're still emotionally immature Oh yeah, to some degree, sure. right? You know, like, 100%. so you're trying to find your way. And you know, I mean, did you struggle with that? It, it was a struggle in some ways. One, uh, my football career was ending. It wasn't ending the way I thought it would. I thought I'd go to the NFL. That's what every kid thinks that goes and plays division one. <laughs> sure. Right. This is just my next stop before I get to the NFL. My life will be set and we'll have to actually work for a living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, by that time I've had one injury after another. I realize my, my football career is coming to an end. I'm definitely not going to the NFL. I don't know for sure what I want to do with my life yet. Uh, and at the same time, I've had this radical transformation where I still love my friends care about them, but they're playing football and they're drinking when they're not. I'm no longer playing football mm-hmm. and I'm not drinking. Mm-hmm. So there was a natural just separation. So I felt very lonely. I was a loner. And sometimes, look, when you're following Jesus, I don't care how old you are 
or where you are, sometimes you will be lonely. Sometimes it's a hard path to follow because, because you're with people that are just not going the same direction in life you are. They Different worldview, different set of values. Doesn't make them bad people. They're just, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Okay? So uh, as we do like to say, you do need to change your playground and you do need to change your playmates. Mm-hmm. In my case... Uh, I found Campus Crusade. This this guy I told you about yeah. right. that he was leading this campus ministry. I began to gravitate then to uh, a whole different set of students that I didn't even know was there before, and began to befriend people more around our um, their spiritual uh, vision for life, and as opposed to hey, we play football. That's what brought us together. Well, now it really was a common, a common worldview and a common set of values that included Jesus Christ being our, our Lord and Savior and now living on mission for him. A family. A family. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Some point you meet your wife. When was that? Yeah, I met, I met Krista actually our junior year of high school. Hmm. Um. And uh, providentially, we had our homeroom room together our senior year. Um, we sat alphabetically. I was an H. She was an L. <laughs> and I wasn't that, as I told you, religious at the time. I mm-hmm. wasn't that spiritual at the time. But at that moment, I had, there, there is a God. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I mean, really. The prettiest girl in school sits right behind me. <laughs> so um, I began to pursue her. Uh, our senior year. And we had three dates that fall of our senior year. And uh, I immediately fell in love, was ready to get married. Thought I found the girl I was going to marry. She didn't. <laughs> After three dates, she dumps me for an older man. He was 21. Oh. An older man. Yeah. And he made 10 bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah. How do you compete? You're you irresistible. You have no job. Mm-hmm. 21 10 bucks an hour how do how do you compete with that mm-hmm. well so if you were going to k-state on a d1 full ride scholarship <laughs> you probably would have thought a little differently about that i'm just throwing that, i, I yeah. i'm kidding or yeah. or who knows they might have been paying me yeah. oh yeah back in the day you never know not, not bill snyder <laughs> bill snyder in high regard he, he did he did what he did all the right way so but here here's what i had going for me um it's kind of like I played football, never quit. Keep pursuing. Mm-hmm. So there I was my senior year. I was in the friend zone mm-hmm. my entire senior year. But I kept pursuing. I asked her to go to prom. She turned me down. She asked me to dance at prom. I turned her down. Ooh. Yes. What? Playing hard to get. Out. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did yeah. you know you were going away to school, though? But at that point, you I knew did. you did. By that time, I knew I was going to Kansas. What was the age of She's a little bit younger? No, she's she was senior. She was going oh, down to okay. Springfield okay. at what was then Southwest Missouri State yeah. University. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Nobody knows where that is anymore. <laughs> right. Missouri State, Springfield. Right. So... You know, I tease her today still. You know, she could have danced with the prom king 1987. That's right, prom king. Oh, oh it was wow. you. 1987. 
Yeah, give him a high five. There you go. Is Bon Jovi never say goodbye? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! It would have been such a magical moment. Oh my god! I'm hearing that song in my head. Do you even did you dance with anybody else? I danced with the prom queen. There you go. Of course she did. It wasn't Krista. So anyway, she she doesn't always like it when I tell my version of the story, but mine's better than hers. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. So here, it's uh, finally after my entire senior year, I said, okay, I am going away. She's going away. There's going to be tons of girls at Kansas. I am finally done. Washing your hands. I'm yeah. washing my hands. I am right. moving on. New playground, new playmates. Exactly. Different, different, different kind of deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. And so. This is back in the days of the old Bannister Mall. We're really dating ourselves now. Mm-hmm. I love that yeah. place. Our first ever date was at Annie Santa Fe in Bannister Mall. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Exactly 10 bucks in my pocket. <laughs> Spin it exactly to the penny. Okay. And my math is not that good. <laughs> That's pretty close. Yes. Pretty so, close. But that summer, I hadn't seen her for about a month after graduation. She worked at the makeup counter for uh, Dillard's. Okay. Normally, I would have purposely gone into the mall that way just mm-hmm. to run into her. But in this case, I generally hadn't even thought about it. There she is. So we decided to go to a movie just as friends. And for the first time, I really mean this. I was okay just being friends. Wow. So there we are. <laughs> reconnected. Now we're at a movie just as friends. I remember sitting there thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm okay with just being friends. I really am okay. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually started dating a girl that summer really casually. She was from Overland Park. Drove up to her house to take her on her first date that summer. Biggest house I've ever seen in my life. I tell Chris to this day, honey, I could have married money. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't like it when I, I say that. I bet she either. doesn't. Right, yeah. Right. So, 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 uh, my friends threw a growing away party for me uh, a few days before I was leaving to go to two days KU, and that girl happened to be there at that party. And the phone rings. It's my friend answers the phone. I realize it's Krista. And she's asking for directions. She's coming. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So your buddies invited her? My buddies invited her. Okay. And this girl who I actually kind of liked, but it was super casual. She was going to Colorado for school. I'm going to Kansas. I'm not trying to get any real real tight relationship Mm -hmm. committed thing here. But here she is. So Krista gets to his house. The party's downstairs in the basement. I go upstairs to greet Krista. We were up there for two hours, and we never came downstairs. Oh, okay. So that is when the sparks started to fly again. Mm. This time, it was mutual. Okay. So she comes over to my house a couple days later to say goodbye. I'm leaving for KU in the morning for two days. I stand out on the front lawn of my house. I get the kiss I had been after for a year. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you guys, it was not for you. Didn't July. get the kiss after two hours upstairs. No, come on, Phil. What were Bro, you doing wrong? Listen, for one thing, my semi girlfriend's in the basement. Okay, right. For another thing, she's in the basement. I'm starting to figure this thing out. It's kind of like football when you over pursue the ball carrier. What happens? Uh, over pursue them. They cut back. You yep. miss the tackle. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm moving a little slower this time. Okay. Right, okay. Right. All right. Strategy. So baby steps. Tracking. Baby steps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It worked. So there I am, front lawn. Fireworks are going off. It's not the Fourth of July. We date all through college. Get married then, in October of '91. Mm-hmm. Still married 31 years later. Wow. Congratulations. That is awesome. Yeah. 
So was it, um, you talked about, you know, the whole partying and all the stuff in college. Was that hard then when you were, you know, had a committed girlfriend that was in a, another city? So, you know, yeah, this was, uh, of course, these were the days where there was no cell phones. Right. right. There was no, no text texting, messaging, no email. No email. We literally have letters to this day. We wrote each other. Oh, wow. Real old fashioned letters. I right. mean, it's on yeah, paper, on paper, real yeah. paper. <laughs> We right. really did that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I literally remember selling blood plasma every month. No way. To pay my end of the long distance bill. Oh, my gosh. These were the days of long distance sure. phone bills. Wow. My roommate, who was from Houston, okay. had a girlfriend in Texas. <laughs> my girlfriend was in Springfield. Yeah. So... We shared the phone, and he would literally go through, highlight my end. I remember oh those days goodness. of college, Tally too. Tally it up. Yes. Here's how much That's I owe. That's hilarious. I hawked a gold necklace one month that actually another girl had given me my senior year that I was semi-seeing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Didn't really right. like because I really like Krista. But yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Got to go to prom with somebody, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I hawked it one month, and the other times I'd be selling my blood plasma to pay for that long distance bill. Was it hard? Yes, it was hard. Yeah. But what will you do for love? Yeah. Mm. So I'm saying, I guess, okay, let me just put it out there a little more blatantly. You didn't have any other temptations. You're a D one football player. You're going to all these parties. There's obviously lots of women around. You know what, Ronnie, in full transparency, and I love this program. It's about honesty, transparency. All of our stories relate to one another. I tell people we go through the same stuff because we're all made of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is what I love about your story, man. Uh, when Adam sinned, he automatically hid from God. The healing begins when we come out of hiding. Mm-hmm. Come out of hiding so God can bring the healing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what I know to be true about myself. I would have been so promiscuous. I would have probably either fathered a child or had an STD by the time I was 20. But for a girl named Krista. Wow. That I really wanted to marry someday. That was going to school in another city. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to mess that up. Wow. Kudos. I mean, it really wasn't kudos. It's not like I chose to walk in integrity because I love Jesus so much at the time. I had nothing to do with him. It had to do with this girl named Krista. And I I really think I wanted to marry her. And God knew, though. See, this is how God works in our lives, even when we're not aware he's working in our lives. Mm-hmm. He's saving us from ourselves, even when we don't know it. I'm not pursuing him, but he's pursuing me. So I know for sure he allowed Krista in my life at the time because he knew that's what it would take mm-hmm. for me not to mess my life up mm. with a promiscuous lifestyle. Mm. And that, that is the biggest reason why I wasn't promiscuous at that time of life. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, did, I usually don't get stumped or no, I'm like speechless, but I that know. is pretty incredible. Well, I, I am curious though. Okay. So was she a believer? Did she love Jesus from she the was, beginning or did no, she join you on this transformation really or what question. happened there? Yeah. And uh, so she, she kind of might've been my first convert. Really? So she, she was raised in a religious home. Okay. She was raised in a church-going family. They were Lutheran Okay. by uh, denomination. I've heard you say that before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So she was certainly raised with a God awareness, a belief about God, but there's a difference between believing about Jesus and believing in Jesus. Right. All right. Right. There's or, a difference yeah. between knowing about him and actually trusting in him. It's what Jesus called the new birth. So kind of like me, she was raised with a lot of awareness, but wasn't living it either. Right. We were both kind of in the same place in life. Um, not necessarily uh, rejecting the truth, but running from it. Mm-hmm. And so when I had my experience with the 18-wheeler and had this radical transformation, I'm following Jesus now, no holds barred, not looking back. Uh, she was the first one to follow. Mm. And and uh, she wasn't 100% sure like me if she was really a Christian. Just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Right. Right. You know, any more than going to Pizza Hut makes you a pizza. Right. Going to into a garage makes you a car. I've gone to Home Depot a lot, and I can't build anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't fix anything. Thank you, because that's my story, too. <laughs> right. I am not a DIY guy, no matter how many times I go to Home Depot. Right. Okay? Was she it rattled at all with your transformation? Like, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't the same guy that that I knew and fell in love with. I mean, how did that look like? I, I think... I think that next month was a time of soul searching and introspection for us both because we're really, this was a defining moment that's really going to define the direction of my life and thereby her life. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so, but by then, you know, she's already thinking down the road about marriage and family and children. And I think she kind of liked the person I was becoming as opposed to the person I was too, you know what I'm saying? Sure. sure. Yeah, of course. The biggest issues had to do with the theology. I was raised a little different than Lutheran. Oh, so sure. yeah. do we baptize our babies or do we not? Mm. That was the kind of stuff we were talking about then. You know right. what I'm saying? Of course. Mm. Yes, yeah. I do. I do. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you're, um, let's, I want to be sensitive with your time and we're 53 minutes into this. We're good. So we're we good got a lot to cover yet. Uh, as you're going through, KU, you're thinking that you're, you're the idea eventually is that you want to play in the NFL. You you know that you're not going to play in the NFL, but are the classes you're taking for law enforcement are, are to put you in position to become law enforcement because you eventually go into the police academy. Let's talk about post KU and career. Yeah. Yeah. There's no classes you take for the police department. Um, there's I, not pre there's not even electives or something that help you get to the really. next okay. No, there's some guy if you know you hit a time you want to go into law enforcement, you might get a criminal justice degree. Right. That's where I was going with that. Yeah. But I, I don't even know if KU offered one and I wasn't even thinking of this. So what terms. were you studying? Uh, I was studying fun and football. <laughs> I was gonna say, didn't you hear him say he had tutors? Yes. To help him keep but his You have to have a to... major. Well, you have yeah, to be you, majored you in something. You don't have to declare a major till your junior year, Ronnie. Okay. Did you graduate from KU? I did. Okay. What did you major in, <laughs> Phil? <laughs> answer right, the question. Let me answer the question. Everybody wants to know. Let me answer the question. I, I majored in the football degree. It's called organizational communications. Okay. Okay. This okay. is the de- so in it's all a communications degree. You see it all the time whenever you're they, watching the three this, o'clock this is the degree, football game. I say the football degree. This is the degree football players get when it's their junior year. They realize they're not going to the NFL. They don't know what they want to do with their life, and they haven't declared a major. Got it. That was okay. me. I literally <laughs> said, "Okay, what major am I closest to that I won't have to spend the next six years of my life here to get?" Right. Mm-hmm. So I crammed four years into four and a half years. I graduated in four and a half years with a communications degree. Got it. 
Uh, I had a, I had an internship my last summer doing a manufacturer's rep for a wholesale siding, carports, awnings, home improvement company. Okay. So I had some sales experience, a lot of inside sales. I'd be calling on home improvement guys, trying to sell vinyl siding, windows. Uh, and no offense to anyone that sells vinyl siding or windows. <laughs> okay. We need people in the world who do that. Sure. Sure, yeah. I just realize this is not what I want to do with my life. Got right. it. Right. I don't know what I want to do. I just know I don't want to be bored. Okay. okay. At the same time, my brother-in-law had been on the police department several years. Oh. Hmm. I started talking to him about it. The more I talked to him about it, the more I realized I might want to do this. Hmm. Was it the adrenaline junkie thing, being yes. that you're a football player? 100%. Okay. Um, it, it is, uh, I don't want to be in the office all day. I don't want to be bored the rest of my life. And, um, I started talking to him about it. So the interview answer is, why do you want to be a cop? It's because you want to help people. And that's true. I genuinely wanted to help people. I wanted to feel like my life was helping people, but mm-hmm. the real reason was I didn't want to be bored. Okay. And, uh, so I was never bored. I went on the police department. Went in the academy January 92. I just graduated December 91, so it was perfect timing. And, Ronnie, I, I would have done it 25 or probably 30 years had God not got in my way again <laughs> with a call to the ministry. I, I really enjoyed law enforcement. I was really good at law enforcement. Uh, they get a really bad rap, and there's some bad policemen, admittedly. Like, there's bad everything and sure. everything, yep. right? But, yeah. But... Um, Generally speaking, there it's it's a full of really good men and women who really do want to serve uh, and 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 do their job with integrity. Mm-hmm. When and you say you were good at it, can you give what's your definition of is that a, a good police officer? Okay, so um, you know a, a a really good cop is able to control situations by nothing more than his presence. Hmm. Okay, when these horrible situations happen, sometimes they go downhill really fast. Yep. So a really, really capable officer is able to diffuse situations sometimes without even raising his voice. Hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's good. And the police academy, they call it command presence. Mm-hmm. And I had that gift. I had that ability. A 6'6 six, six at the time. and It was the body. Yeah, I had the build for it. I'm mm-hmm. 245 now, but at the mm-hmm. time I was, you know, 265, almost 270. You were an a, offensive lineman for crying out loud. Defense, right. but yeah. yeah, bulletproof vest. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of it was the presence. A lot of it is uh, just your rapport with people. You know, I, I knew how to build a rapport with people almost in the first 30 seconds. You know what I'm saying? You could do it. You could earn their respect by integrity instead of, becoming that cop with the badge and the gun that was 10 feet tall, 800 yeah, pounds. Yeah. And then there was trying to intimidate you. Yeah, and then it, you've it, already there, lost respect a, of the situation rare instances where you got to go Gestapo. But most of the time you just treat people well, yeah. you use some humor, break mm-hmm. down the walls yeah. with a, with a little bit of humor or, or something. It's kind of Com- like just compliment them. Man, I, I love that picture on your wall. Where'd you get that? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you've, you've diffused the reason <laughs> right. you're there. You're talking about right. something else. Yeah. So when I said I was good at it, I was good at it. Um, I, I enjoyed doing it. 
there was an element that really checked a lot of boxes for me. The uh, same reason I love playing football is compete, competition, conquest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like catching bad guys. And kicking indoors, right? And kicking indoors. Yeah. And the element there of the unknown. Mm-hmm. What's behind that door when I get no So you like that? That was never scary to you? No. Hmm. It was never scary. Okay. There, there were scary moments, but they were like, you look back and in that moment, you weren't scared. Mm-hmm. You look back and, wow, that was scary. <laughs> but so should when, have been scared. <laughs> you, when you go through the police academy, obviously, then you immediately go for KCPD or did you work your way up the ranks? It would have been KCPD or nothing. Okay. Oh, really? I, I, I wanted to be a member of KCPD. Or I would have, if I hadn't got accepted there, I would have never been in law enforcement because, hmm. um, again, no offense to officers that run radar all day long, writing speeding tickets. They have a job and they need to do it. Sure. Yeah, Greenwood's really good at it. <laughs> so is so is Lake Winnebago. I wasn't going to yeah. name names, but I live out in Lone Jack. And Lone right. Jack. I was going to say, when you hit Lone Jack city limits, you had better be doing the speed limit because yeah. they're really, really good at enforcing. The traffic they codes, okay. Good. Let's just, but, but here's the point. I did not want to go into law enforcement to run radar and write right. people speeding tickets. I wanted to go where there was genuine things to do, mm-hmm. uh, protect good people. Situations that, to defuse. Situations crisis, to defuse. Yeah. Genuinely bad people to take to jail. Yeah. Um, and to me at the time, I mean, you know, there's criminal element everywhere. Sure. Anywhere, suburb, anywhere in America, there is criminal element, which is why law enforcement needs to be everywhere. But, you know, for me, big city, big cities where the crime is. I want to go to the big city right. around here. Kansas City is the big city. So so you got hired right on. I did. And what point then do you how much time do you spend as a officer doing? I guess what I'm trying to get to is where, when do you eventually elevate to SWAT team? Yeah, so with KC at the time, probably still is, you have to spend three years on the department just as a district officer answering 911 calls. Mm-hmm. So I broke in, did three years, center zone dog watch, midnight to eight, answering 911 calls hmm. uh, and doing whatever proactive ac- you know activity you can in between 911 calls. And you're married at this time, married. but you have kids or no kids? Uh, not yet. Not yet, okay. Yeah. Uh, so first chance I had after three years, I put in for the SWAT team, TAC team and, and, and got, got on right away, hmm. spent two and a half years doing, uh, the, the, the tactical work we did op one hundreds, which is an armed barricaded suspect. We would train for uh, search warrants, uh, which is the dynamic entry, bam, hit the door, mm-hmm. take them by surprise. And what I loved about it was when you're not doing that, you're either training or you're literally just driving around looking for a criminal element, proactive activity. You're not having to do the 911 calls where you're taking a vehicular fender bender. Right. Or you're, you know, having to take a burglary report. People have been gone for two days, right? It, you're, you're looking for genuine criminal activity. Mm-hmm. So that was an awesome job. You got all the best parts of, why you go into law enforcement without the stuff I didn't like, which is mm-hmm. a lot of the, the paperwork, paperwork. Yes, all that stuff. <laughs> right. I got promoted. I took the sergeant's test. And uh, after two and a half years, got promoted to sergeant. And people said at the time, well, you shouldn't take the sergeant's test. 
just for the money. I thought, I can't think of a better reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is the other I reason? I can't think of a better What is reason. the other reason then? Yeah, because for me, it meant a $20,000 pay raise overnight. That's huge. No more off-duty. I was working off-duty. We yeah. you know, started a family, yeah. wanted to be home more, so... Man, it was a it was a godsend. By this time, guys, I'm sold out to Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I'm living for the Lord on right. the police department. Uh, I'm doing what I say today. All these years later, your vocation is your place of mission. I'm trying to be a light in an otherwise dark place. I'm sharing Jesus with, you know, guys that would partner up with me for the night. We're eventually going to have a gospel conversation. Sure. I lead my first guy to Christ personally in a police car. At 2 o'clock in the morning at 31st in Baltimore in Kansas City, Missouri. Know exactly where co-worker that's at. Co-worker or? A co-worker. Okay. <laughs> You're a sergeant then, right? So are you scheduling? No, no, I was a district officer then. I wasn't a sergeant then. Okay. Who handles the schedule? In other words, I, were you in control it, of the schedule? Who was riding with you? No, I okay. was not in control. But once you're there, you, you kind of start to partner up with the same yeah. same people all the time. You kind of, you know, you don't oh, You always, guys had the liberty to do that. You don't always get the liberty to choose... But some sergeants will basically say, whoever wants to partner up, partner up. We did. How or you many, get with somebody you mesh with or you, yeah, you know, yeah, you work well with. Yeah. How many, how many other cops avoided you because they knew they were going to get the talk? You know, it's probably a quandary for some of them because they knew by then, uh, you know, I'm that religious guy. Yeah. yeah. On the other hand. They really liked me being around too. Right. <laughs> you had the there was perks to having you around too. There was perks too. <laughs> you had the big guy on your side. I mean, they, come on. Yeah, and they knew. I mean, they they knew if things went down, I was going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they they wanted me on the team. Yeah, sure. So, I tell people even now, if, if you know, part of your credibility as a Christian is not what you say; it's what other people see. Mm. You ought to work to be the best you are in the workplace. You ought to be the most reliable. You ought to pursue when everybody else is doing the bare minimum. You ought to be the one that wants to do more because you represent Jesus. Right. Doing so, it for God. Yeah. Not men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you know, my supervisors knew I wasn't going to walk the line and make them look bad or do something to get the department in trouble. You know, sure. I was going to do things with integrity. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And then I, I tried not to be an obnoxious Christian. Okay, what can I say? <laughs> Where it's just cramming Jesus down everybody's throat. Right. Yeah. That got within 10 feet for 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, we talk about a lot of other things. Sure. But eventually, in this case, he brought it up. So this was a turning point in my life, turning moment in his life. He is... um. He's a, he's a guy, he's, 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 he's addicted, chain smoker, alcohol, has some other addictions that I was aware of. Not going to talk about it, maybe here. He was losing his marriage. Mm-hmm. And one night he says, you know, you're a religious guy, aren't you? <laughs> well, I never actually really talked that much openly about it, but here I go. So for the next two weeks, as we partnered up in between 911 calls, we're talking about Jesus, the gospel. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? He died first and he rose again. He okay. has the power to bring transformation to anyone that will receive him. Two o'clock in the morning, 31st in Baltimore. After a couple of weeks of having this running dialogue conversation, he prays right there in that police car, receives Christ into his life. Mm-hmm. I'm still in touch with him today, all these years later. Um, and his life changed. 
his his wife came to faith in Christ. They they got reconciled. They didn't get divorced. Um, he got set free from his addictions, all of them. Uh, he's a guy that has been all over the world now on mission and gospel-type ministry opportunities. His life changed, but it changed my life too. For the first time, I realized my life can be used by God to impact somebody else's life in a way that will last forever. That's why you're here today, buddy. It is. So how did you make that transition, though? I mean, like, like was it a was it like the semi and the Camaro where you're like, tomorrow, I'm... Um, yeah, did, it did was you go a to process. seminary? Did you people what? ask sometimes? So how do you know you're called? You talk about a calling. So I chose my career. You don't choose your calling. Your calling chooses you. Correct. So um, I took the same guy that I led to Christ. He was a former Army Ranger. Okay. I had been mentoring him in the faith personally, taking him to church where I was going at the time. A church announces they're going on a mission trip to El Salvador, Central America. Well, he had been as an army ranger Mm. on a military exercise in El Salvador several years earlier. Hmm. He says, Phil, I want to go. This time I want to bring a Bible instead Hmm. of a M16, right? Right, right. And I think at the time, I don't want to go. 700 bucks. So, I mean, a lot of money, 700 bucks. I don't have 700 bucks. And you're married and you and have... And I'm married and I, I have one child one at this kid. point. Okay. All right. No, I'm sorry. My wife's pregnant. Oh, wow. Okay. That changes things a little bit. But I'm thinking, oh, I'm mentoring. I don't want to quench the fire, right? Right. So I actually work some extra off-duty. I save the money. We both go to El Salvador that week. It's my first time ever out of the country. First time ever on a mission trip. Okay. That began the wheels in motion for what we call full-time ministry. Mm. It didn't happen in a single moment like the 18-wheeler. There was no audible voice from heaven, no handwriting in the sky. I just It began to be a process of about two years. Mm. People say, how do you know you're called? It's when you can't say no. Mm. I reached a point where I realized I cannot say no. I need to prepare for ministry. I don't know where it will be or what it will be or when it will be. I don't think I'm going to retire with the police department. Hmm. I started going to this little church in Lee Summit. You're how long? I'm sorry. How long are, are you? Have you been on the law enforcement at this point? Um, I'm eight years in. Okay. When I in, in in March of 2000, I went to bed a cop, woke up a pastor. Yeah. So the wheels begin turning about six years in. I don't actually uh, break from the PD and go into ministry until about eight years. Okay. Altogether. So. So um, I have the sense of this is, this is what God's called me to do. I can't say no. When you don't have an option, you know you're called. And I started preparing. I'd study seminary in my police car at night before there was internet or anything. So, right. um, so like books? Books, real books. With notes on paper. You know, okay. notes on paper in a police car. There I am. His I, big chief nap tablet, you know, <laughs> exactly. and his number two pencil. Almost. Exactly. <laughs> And but I you're going to the little your little church in I, Lee Summit. St- we started going to this little upstart church in Lee Summit. Um, just looking for a church to go to. Wanted to be a part of something small and help grow something that matters. Why did you want to be a part of something small? Because, uh, there's because something, you're a part of something really big right now. But it wasn't always big. No, I know that. But I'm saying why, but why did you personally seek something small? Because I wanted... 
partly for the same reason I went to Kansas. I didn't just go to play for a coach. I saw an opportunity to help to help build something that wasn't there to begin with. Okay. Hmm. I wanted to build a program, mm-hmm. a winning program out of something that wasn't. I saw an opportunity at a church. God put something in me like that long ago, little did I know. Hmm. Uh, which is why even now, even though we're a large church now, we're always starting something new. Yep. That is true. Always. Uh, that So... So we saw something new. We want to help grow that thing. Um, shortly thereafter, I did surrender to ministry. I thought I might go be a missionary in some foreign country somewhere. Uh, my pastor asked me to fill in for him one Sunday night, my first time ever preaching. This is my big debut. Twelve people were in the audience. Wow. It was Palm Sunday, 1999. Never wow. Oh, Palm Sunday. I preached on the evidence of the resurrection. Okay. For any of your listeners going, oh, you guys, people of faith, just blind faith. You're just blindly following. Cross your fingers. Hope it's true. No, no. There's evidence of the resurrection. It's faith, but it's not blind faith. Mm -hmm. In the same way you know that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president, you believe it's true, even though you weren't there to see it. Right. You never met him personally. No, but there's evidence it's how you believe anything in history if you weren't there personally. So I preached on the evidence of the resurrection that night. It was my first time ever preaching the rational, historical evidences of the resurrection. Well, of the 12 people, six were people I brought with me. Make sure I had an audience. <laughs> so I wasn't sure I'd have one when I got there. It was a little church. You brought half night. the congregation. I did. <laughs> Two was my mom and dad I brought with me. Because if your own mom won't come hear you preach, what hope do you have, right? right. That's true. Right. Four were cops I brought along with me because I was a sergeant by then. They couldn't tell me no. <laughs> oh, I like that. That was six. I like that. Four cops, my mom and dad. Okay. Of the other six, one was a member of our church's board. He heard me that night, which is probably why several months later, after our pastor resigned, he'd call me up and ask me to fill in one Sunday morning. It's a Tuesday night. I'm literally at Metro Patrol Division. I'm on duty. So he didn't resign. He just got up and quit. Our pastor resigned pretty quickly, suddenly. Hmm. And so uh, this board member that was there that night I preached calls me several months later just to come fill in Sunday morning. We don't have anybody preach. Phil, will you come fill in? And so um, with much fear and trepidation, like I'm so not qualified. I have no idea really what I'm doing. I have no training. Uh, but I'll show up. I'll, I'll do this one time. And little did I know that one time would lead to a second time. I thought it'd be one and done. They asked me to do it again. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be two and done. Mm-hmm. They asked me to do it again. I think it's going to be three and done. Well, then they asked me to fill in as an interim mm. till we find somebody full time to be the pastor. So, uh, I agree to do that. So the fall why did they pick you? Probably the situation was so desperate. Nobody else was there to do it. Really? I okay. can't believe I was really that good. I think the situation was just that bad. We're just this little bitty church. Yeah. Understand. We, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of paid staff. Um, in fact, by the end of that year, we'd have no paid staff. And I literally thought the doors on that little church might close. Mm-hmm. It could have closed. Had God not miraculously intervened. Okay. And saved that little church that will one day become abundant life. Wow. So 1999, 1999, they've got a cop filling in on Sundays. That's weird. (laughs) That's the situation. Yeah. They asked me to interview to be the pastor. I did. 
I mean, I have no qualifications on paper. My resume is football player, University of Kansas, organizational communications, 2.5 average GPA, uh, police academy, 1992. You know, this, this yeah. is my resume. I have, I, so that, but they asked me to fill in. Then they, they decide, let's ask him to interview. And I did. Were you excited to do this or did you feel an obligation even because you talked about not feeling qualified? So was, was it an obligation or you like you, well, you by felt this time I, I'd come to love this little church enough. I didn't want to see it die. I okay. didn't want to see it close its doors. So I did kind of want to hold things together until we found a real pastor. Okay. That was the plan. I never dreamed it could be me because there's no way I'm ready. Did you consider saying no about interviewing though? Like, like, were you letting all those things? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Were you letting all those things in your head going, you're a football player, you're a cop. You had, you you know, you don't have the training. I interviewed and the very next day I pulled my name out of consideration. Hmm. I say, Hey guys, thank you. I'm honored. I'm flattered. Yeah. But there's, there's no way this could be me. I'm not ready. So thank you, but no, thank you. So for the next three weeks, I was running from the call of God. I was scared. I was scared. I was scared of failure. Mm-hmm. You guys know the story of Jonah in the belly of the whale. Mm-hmm. Jonah mm-hmm. ran from the call of God, went the opposite direction, ends up in the belly of the whale. Right. I know what it is to live for three weeks mm-hmm. in the belly of a whale, metaphorically speaking. Sure. Right. Sure. The most miserable person on earth is a child of God out of the will of God. I'm out of the will of God because I'm saying no, not yes. So yep. I literally can't sleep. I get up at midnight after three weeks. I call back the head of the search committee. At midnight. At midnight. <laughs> I say, Kendall, I don't know what God is doing. I just know I can't sleep. I just know I need to say yes. Put my name back for consideration. If you don't call me, trust me, no hard feelings. Mm-hmm. I will get behind the next pastor. I just know I need to say yes to God. I did. And a month later, they called me to be their pastor. In March of 2000, I went to bid a cop, woke up a pastor, put my two weeks in at the police department, and that's over 22 years ago now. Wow. Don't you think, though, I mean, it sounds like you would agree with this, maybe not, you kind of have to have those moments of running so that there's no doubt in your mind that that's what it was. Because you could explain away. You could say, that is, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And then say yes, and you wouldn't maybe have felt it for sure. Like, undeniably. There's no doubt. You know? I had to go through that process. Yeah. God takes us all through a process. Mm -hmm. Taking our next step in almost anything is scary. Mm -hmm. I was fearful of failure. I literally sat in my police car one night. I literally weighed the risk. Uh, On the one hand, I could go down in flames. I could go down a failure. I could be out of ministry in five years. There's no going back to the police department. I burned that bridge. Hmm. On the other hand, in this hand, I could see God do something unexplainable, unimaginable, what seemed like impossible. I could see God do a miracle. And I decided that night, sitting in my police car, that what I had in this hand was worth the risk of what I had in this hand. Hmm. I will never, ever be afraid to try because... I failed. I would rather fail yeah. because I tried than fail right. because I didn't try. And that's the conclusion I came to. So I can't, I say to this day, if we can explain it, God didn't do it. This was not the plan I had for my life. Right. This is not the direction I'd set for my life. Clearly God redirected. He got in my way. Uh, and, and 
and he saves this church that should have closed its doors <laughs> years ago. Uh, and today, those 98 people that took a risk and took a chance on a 31-year-old police officer with no training and no experience in ministry, those 98 people are the seed for what is today thousands of people all over the country mm-hmm. whose lives have been influenced and blessed by abundant life. Yeah. Mm. See, I don't take, had, had I been in some ways prepared and fully, you know, there's a way you can take some credit for that. Yeah. I know for a fact, I can take no credit for anything. It is all by the grace of God in my life mm-hmm. that I am what I am. I can do what I do uh, because I've lived way above my head. Wow. That's what God wants to do in all of our lives. Yeah, well, yeah that is true. All of our lives. <clears throat> it's true. It's such a, re- it, I mean, I think it's just a fascinating story. But I we mean, just it, have to say yes. <clears throat> yep. Most people won't because there's too much of a risk. I tell people to get over your fear, you got to get over yourself. I had to get over myself to get over my fear. Yeah. When you become selfless, you can become fearless. Most of us spend all of our life trying to hang on to self, save self, Mm -hmm. preserve myself. Here's what Jesus said. He that will seek to save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Mm Mm-hmm. See, that, that's the point. When you have died, now you come fully alive. When you let go, now you can finally live. And that's what I had to learn to do and still have to. It's not a test you take one time and walk away from. Right. It's a test God gives you over and over again in life. I feel like I've gotten more tests than I can count. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a fascinating story. Um, yes. All right. We're at 120. So we've got 10 minutes, right? Um, let's, let's 10, 15. <clears throat> okay. I got to well, be I, back at church by Tyndall. So, okay. Um, and I want to be respectful and sensitive of that. So as I alluded to in the beginning of this episode, uh, it wasn't long ago, maybe in the last couple months that we, or you covered the book of Daniel, um, which the book of Daniel, which I really wasn't familiar with is so dark and morbid. Um, And I, but I was drawn in and what I really appreciated about, and and by the way, if anybody who is listening to this would like to go back and and watch this series of the book of Daniel, livingproof.co. Co. It's on our website. I always want to say .com, but it's living. Yeah. So you can go back there. This was back in a. Yeah. We started in February. February. Okay. And then in August. August. Yeah. So six months. So that's what I I wanted to say, but I didn't want to interrupt. Like you said, oh, you covered the book of Daniel. No, he covered. Yeah. The book of Daniel. Like there was, there was no, mm-hmm. like we're preaching on Daniel day and next week we're going to be yeah, in, yeah, yeah. There, know, Rome, I, back in Romans, you know, like I meant no. to call it a series, but there was the ser- the series on the book of Daniel. So yeah. my point is, is that when we you got to the final ep- or episode, the final sermon, um, what I really appreciate about how you uh, preach is how you kind of dumb things down for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's so many in, uh, so there's so much verbiage in the Bible alone, but especially in the book of Daniel that talks about the different timelines, you know, for example, a week doesn't mean a week in the book of Daniel. And you can maybe, you know, explain all of that, but um, the way you kind of were, you were basically, you were basically trying to say that history is repeating itself. Sure. And we have our window of opportunity and that window is coming down mm-hmm. and that window of opportunity being when Jesus comes back. Um, and then in the last sermon, you said 
and you didn't say it with conviction. You said it's of your belief and your opinion based on all the data mm-hmm. and all of the mm-hmm. everything that history has shown here. Mm-hmm. And you laid it all out for us pretty clear mm-hmm. that it's your belief that Jesus is coming back in the next 30 years. Mm-hmm. Elaborate on that. Well, so... Um, you know, one of the reasons I'm convinced the Bible really is the Word of God in an age of skepticism and even antagonism is the Bible alone can boast the amount of fulfilled prophecy, meaning uh, we can see when a prophecy was made hundreds of years before that event, that person, that place. Now we have the advantage of looking back through the lens of history and saying, hey, this really happened. It, it happened. Now, if that happens once or twice, or even 10 times, you might go, well, it's just coincidental. Anybody can get lucky once in a while. But, but I'm talking over and over and over and over again. Eventually, it becomes unexplainable. Mm-hmm. It defies the scientific laws of probability. This is what I love about the Bible. Uh, again, it's not blind faith. In an age where people say it's just a book of myth, it's just a book of men, it's just made up, now, wait a minute. Let's, again, the data. Let's analyze this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus could prove who he was. One of the reasons why is there's 61 prophecies made hundreds of years ahead of time about the Messiah, the Christ, when he would come. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be a Jew, the seed of Abraham, from the tribe of Judah, of the house of David, the lineage of Jesse that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be betrayed for silver, that he'd be crucified between thieves. A lot of people would say, well, Jesus just had to read the Old Testament prophecies and then go about fulfilling them. Well, self-fulfill them. But wait a minute. No one can have any command over the place of their birth right. or their ancestry, right. their lineage, uh, the method of their execution. Right. Or how they are betrayed. These are all prophecies over which Jesus would have had no control. Yet we can look back historically, prove this happened exactly as it was prophesied hundreds of years ahead of time. Mm-hmm. One or two, ten, maybe somebody gets lucky, but all of them, nobody gets that lucky. Mm-hmm. Daniel, what I love about the book of Daniel, here is, here is a man that made prophecies related to the rise of world kingdoms that had not yet come. Yet, hundreds of years ahead of time, he correctly prophesies in the correct order the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire. Now we'll look back through the lens of history. It happened exactly the way he said. You mentioned the Daniel 9.27 prophecy of the weeks. The word is right. heptad. That was fascinating. Yeah, the word is heptad. So it's weeks yep. of years. Mm-hmm. Don't have time to rehearse it yeah, all. There's I would a lot if there. I could. Here's the point. God has given us data. We don't know the day or the hour. Jesus was emphatic. No one will know the day or the hour of his return. But we do have the prophetic and biblical signs of the times to know we're in the season of the second coming. Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So there's a super sign prophetically that we know we're in the end times. The Jews were driven out of Jerusalem when? 70 AD. Told people, you got into a little history right. to understand prophecy. Right. 70 AD, the Romans drive the Jews out of Jerusalem. Jesus said Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by Gentiles, non-Jews, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Times of the Gentiles 
began when the Jews crucified their Jewish Messiah. And temporarily, God put the Jews kind of on, in time out, where he turns his attention out of the salvation of non-Jews, me and you. Mm-hmm. Presumably, you're not a Jew. I am not. Ethnically, I'm not either. I'm a Gentile <laughs> ethnically, mm-hmm. though I believe in the Jewish Messiah mm-hmm. right. as my Savior. And so what happens? The end of the Six Days War, 1967, for the first time since 70 A.D., the Jews roll back into Jerusalem and take back control of the holy city. A super sign that the times of the Gentiles is coming to a close. That was the last sign prophetically that had to happen biblically before Jesus comes again to establish his kingdom. Uh, I alluded in that message specifically the parable of Matthew 24, the parable of the fig tree is what you're thinking of. Jesus was giving the signs of the second coming in Matthew 24. He says, now learn the parable of the fig tree. The fig tree is a symbol of the national life of Israel, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the olive tree, which is a symbol of the spiritual life of Israel. Paul, the apostle, would use that in Romans chapter 11. Jesus curses the fig tree in Matthew 21. This is the week he is betrayed, the week he's going to be crucified. He curses the fig tree because it had leaves but no fruit. That was a symbol, a metaphor of the life of Israel. They appeared to have life, Mm -hmm. but they have no fruit. They're crucifying their Messiah, the life giver. Mm -hmm. They are about to die and go dormant. And indeed, they'd be driven completely out of the land in 135 AD by the Romans. They would cease to exist as a people. From 135 AD to 1948, when Israel is reborn as a nation, the Jews are a people without a place. God promised through the prophet Ezekiel he would scatter them among the nations because of their rebellion against him, because they would crucify their Messiah. But he'd also promised to one day bring them back again. And that's exactly what happened at the end of World War I with the Balfour Declaration of the foreign minister of Great Britain. Legally, the Jews could begin returning for the first time since 135 A.D., to the land of their forefathers as the British defeated the Ottoman Turks in a battle, not coincidentally, in the Valley of Armageddon. (laughs) And for the first time since 135 A.D., the Jews were allowed to begin returning. And this is what year? This was 1917 with the signing of the Balfour Declaration. Okay. So that prophecy is being fulfilled that God would regather them, having scattered them. That happens at the end of World War I. They still are not reborn as a nation. The fig tree has gone dormant. It still has not bloomed and put on leaves. Here's the parable of the fig tree, Matthew 24. He said, when you see the fig tree begin to bloom and put on leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you know that it, his second coming, is at the door. He said, surely this generation shall not pass away till all these signs be fulfilled. So when did the fig tree put on leaves for the first time in hundreds of years? It had gone dormant. It had died. It withered away. 1948, Israel is miraculously reborn as a nation. The fig tree comes back to life. Mm. He says, this generation shall not pass away till all these signs be fulfilled. So I sit in that message. The big debate among theologians is what is a biblical generation? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm personally convinced, again, this is an opinion. This is why you can't say with dogma, like, this is absolute. No, this is an opinion, because nobody right. knows for sure. My opinion is a generation is alive while one person from that generation is still alive. Okay. A generation doesn't die until the last person of that generation has died. Okay. The implication is those Jews born in 1948, that generation of Jews born in 1948, will still be alive to see the signs of the second coming Jesus has just described. So uh, if you're born in 1948, you are 72, 73. You're not old, but you ain't young. Mm -hmm. You know spring chicken anymore. Mm -hmm. And we live at a time where it's not unlikely people could live to be a century. Mm -hmm. You think about the number of people born in 1948, surely some of them will break 100. That's where I came up with, roughly, generally speaking, another 30 years. Don't know for sure, hmm. but that generation will still be alive to see the signs of the second coming, mm-hmm. to live through the tribulation. Sometime in the next 30 years seems like a very plausible possibility based on the signs Jesus gave us of his second coming. Mm. Did you get any backlash for saying that? I get backlash all well, the time. <laughs> I for guess. saying, a, just, lot, for saying I guess, a lot less. I mean, that's just a bold st- I'm not trying no, to argue I didn't with get you. Any, I didn't saying. get any backlash for that. Um, uh, the back Anybody that sets a date and a time should get backlash. People have been trying to set specific dates for right. the second coming for a long, long time. Yeah, in, in 2008, there was a nationwide billboard campaign specifically uh, publishing the date of Christ's second coming. I saw Mm -hmm. him here in Lee Summit. Mm -hmm. Of course, those dates come and go, and Mm -hmm. it just makes non-believers roll their eyes. I mean, Christians Mm -hmm. are loony. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't don't set dates. Jesus said we won't know. Mm -hmm. But he also said we could know the season lest we be taken by surprise. He he said that we're not children of darkness. We're children of the light. Mm Mm-hmm. So we don't need to be taken by surprise. We can be watching and anticipating a second coming. So uh, I, I would never set a date or be that specific for the second coming, but I think I can say with certainty we're in the season sure. where Jesus could come. We need to be ready, living with urgency. Let me ask this. You obviously being as influential as you are as a pastor um, and you network with many churches across the country, you know, other pastors across the country. Have you had, um, conversations specific to this and is there a unanimous decision or is there any disagreement from anybody else that you've, or have you had any other conversation with other pastors? About I this? really have not had that many conversations about this specific topic with other pastors. And I, I don't say this to pat myself on the back at all. Please believe I, I know I that. that. I know that about you. But this is not a lane a lot of pastors run in. Most pastors are not going to spend six months dissecting the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. Most pastors aren't going to spend 18 months doing the book of Revelation, which I did. Most pastors aren't going to dive that deep into eschatology, which is end times theology. It's just not the lane a lot of pastors run in. For whatever reason, God gave it to me. You're good at it. <laughs> well, it's, I don't it's, always comprehend it the first time you say it, but it is fascinating how you it just comes so natural to you. 
it, it is a, it, it, we all have gifts, Ronnie, and it's a gift God gave me. Yeah. You've got gifts I don't have. Um. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Can I ask you a question sure. on that topic? Okay. So are you, um, is it tribulation second coming or is it second coming tribulation? So, what um, do you think? uh, it's, so you have the rapture, yes, which is not the second coming. These are separate events. The, the prophets referred to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a single day. The day of the Lord refers to a, a, a season of time, a series, all the events related to the second coming. So the day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church where Jesus comes for his people. Okay. Then you have seven years of tribulation, Daniel 9, 27. Yeah. Then you have the second coming where Jesus comes with his people. So the rapture, he comes for the church. Right. The second coming, he comes back with the, with church. the church. Now, I'm willing to hold a lot of things loosely. One of the things I'm willing to hold loosely is the specific placement of the rapture. Like I am, as I shared in this study, mm-hmm. passionately convicted of a pre-tribulational rapture. I did a whole message where I give five biblical reasons why I'm convinced the rapture happens before the seven-year tribulation begins. Now, there are people that will argue for a mid-trib rapture, that it happens in the middle of the tribulation. Okay. There are other people that it's trending. People believe the church, the people of God, not the Jews, but specifically the church, the bride of Christ, goes all the way through those seven years of tribulation. And then the rapture happens. So we go right up, and then we go right back down. Oh. There are people that believe that. Now, hmm. I'm going to hold loosely. Uh, we start to argue theologically about when the rapture happens. I know what I believe. I'm passionate about it, quite convicted of it. But but I think uh, any events that haven't happened yet, you got to be very careful before you start saying it's exactly going to happen this way. Sure. We have a timeline of events that we can take to the bank. A rapture is going to happen. Seven years tribulation is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And all hell's going to break loose on earth. Mm-hmm. You better be on the right side Uh and not the wrong side. And the wrong side is any side apart from God's side. Yeah. (laughs) There I go to preaching. Yep. All right. We know that's going to happen. We know that Jesus is coming again. Um, But when it comes to prophet, like I've said many times, the best way to interpret prophecy is once it's happened. Right. The rapture hadn't happened yet. So. Well, I will argue strongly for a pre-tribulational rapture. I understand where people, okay, you, you mm-hmm. see mid-trib rapture. No, I can get there. Yeah. I kind of, I see that. Yeah. Maybe. I don't yeah. think it's that, but maybe. Yeah. I don't see a post-trib rapture personally yeah. at all for a number of reasons. Either way, you got to be ready. Either way, you got to be ready. <laughs> sure. And so, and exactly. so that, that, that's reassuring to me because that, that's what I grew up learning to the point of as a kid you know, accepting Christ at nine years old and, and thinking that, oh my gosh, if Jesus comes back and I'm in the shower, oh my gosh, that's going to be so embarrassing. You grew up in the same era I did, right? Well, pretty close. I wish we'd all been ready. (laughs) There's no time to change your mind. The sun has Uh come and you've been I can't say I've heard Uh that one, sorry. Uh Yeah, 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 see what yeah, you missed yeah. out on. Uh, I guess so. Well, I'm I'm learning now at 47. That's the fear of all those church kids. You got left behind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Although I don't think I ever really feared that. I really did fear the, you know, going up and naked. That's rapture. what I, yeah, yeah, the rapture naked. Like yeah. I th- I, that's what I was worried about. Huh. Like, 
It's going to happen while I'm in the shower. Man, I can think of so many other significant things that would concern me. That is not one of them. I thought about it a lot. Wow. I thought about it a lot. Well, I've definitely thought about the last sermon on the book of Daniel that Pastor Phil did. Yeah, um, Which is what inspired me to have you here. And then um, did you want to follow up with something? I was just going to recap that again to say that you mentioned the website, but you can also find it on the Abundant Life podcast. Mm -hmm. So if you're you know, listening to okay, your I podcast, didn't know that. you just go to the, that's how I listen to them when I, when tell you I what, miss we'll them. put a link in the description of this podcast that yeah. you can look forward to uh, redirect you to check that out. Um, all right. So we're at one thirty nine. So give me five more minutes. Um, the book of Daniel last sermon, obviously the book of Daniel was great. There were some, a lot of scary moments. There There's a lot of times you freaked me out. Okay. And actually, I walked out of church on that last day when you brought up the 30 years. I walked out, freaked out that day, too. Um, Can I ask you why that freaks you out? Because I didn't, that didn't, I mean, it made me go, whoa, that's something to think about. But I've always thought that. Like, I've always thought. That's a really good question. I hope that's, that I get to see it. Like, yeah. I hope I get to, I hope I get to live it. I think the reason that I was I freaked know. out, <clears throat> and I probably don't like admitting this out loud. Okay. But being everything that I've gone through in the last two years with trying to understand all of my conflicting emotions and still trying to be a dad and <laughs> and have it all together so that I can raise a family. And then hearing this is like re uh, reminding myself or not reminding what's the word I'm looking for. It's basically asking myself, are you ready? OK. And then really diving in. Am I ready? OK. You know, and if I have to question it, then maybe I'm not ready. OK. Right. Okay. I don't like saying that out loud, but let's be honest. Right. So I'm challenging myself to get more ready, which right. is part of the reason why we're here today. Fantastic. You know, Absolutely. that um, was the right response to that message for us all. Yeah. She causes all some self-examination, yeah. That's introspection. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One day we know for sure we will close our eyes in time. We will open them up in eternity. What will we see? Right. When I see Jesus, will I be ready? Mm-hmm. Well, am I ready to see him? Because right, regardless, 30 years away, yeah. I might see him today. Yeah. We don't know. We need to live every single day like we are going to see Jesus and still plan for the future like we're going to live to be 100. And I think when you have kids, and I see where you're going the kids with this the big too, thing. is that you go, am I, am I, doing, am I doing all the right things mm-hmm. to model what I need to model for my kids so that they're ready, mm-hmm. right? Because his kids are a lot younger than yeah, I got a nine year old and I got two under two. That's a whole nother story, Phil. I think I told you about that anyway. (laughs) I'm sure you can find that story on one of the previous episodes as well. All right, so give me five minutes. Um, I want to then take the next step because there's a lot of dark stuff there that we've talked about, but there's a bright side to all this. And you have, I guess, lifted me up a little bit or a lot, frankly, in the, this new series or in the series that have, have come after the book of Daniel, especially lately and, and, uh, irresistible. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. series of irresistible. So where is you are challenging us as Christians to, you know, uh, be evangelistic, you know, and spread the word and speak openly about mm-hmm. God. And, um, that's part of the reason it's a big part of the reason why you're here. Um, because I wanted to use this platform to challenge myself as uncomfortable as it is. And I'm still at times just kind of, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. 
but I am excited. And I've told Jill, I was like, I've been excited about this for a while and was thrilled and like jumping with joy that you agreed to do this. And, and then today came and I was texting back with her and I was feeling, I feel, I was feeling, honestly, I'm just going to say it out loud. I was feeling Satan working on me harder today than I have felt in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, just like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this. Like, maybe I should call Phil and cancel this. Maybe I should. I shouldn't do this. I'm not qualified to this. Oh my right. gosh, what is the backlash I'm going to get? All of these people who know me from my radio days and the crazy shenanigans that I've done, <laughs> and you know, the party person that I still tend to want to be occasionally. I'm just going to be honest. And and like, you know, am I qualified to be having a podcast about this? Right. And, and my response like, was something like, of course he is. Of course he's yeah. working on you harder today. Yeah. Right. 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 So, and I recognize that. Yeah. And so obviously we're here, but um, I just wanted to, I guess, first off, say thank you. Mm-hmm. It's an honor, Ronnie. It's and, a joy to be here. And then kind of speak to what we're talking about in Irresistible and the importance of, you know, finding your one yeah. and, um, and lifting others up and spreading the word. Yeah. Yeah, Ronnie, if um if if one had to be perfect before Jesus could begin to use them, then where would that leave <laughs> any of us? Where would that leave any of us? So I'm really I'm really, really proud of you that mm. um you are Well Jill's just as much a part of this. Well, Jill so. as well. And um and willing to be honest about who you are. So so many people hide out of fear. What will people think? What will people say? Mm-hmm. Uh and and the truth is we have nothing to be ashamed of. And uh, in Christ, you don't have anything to be ashamed of. Uh, Jesus has come for all of us because we all need Jesus. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 and verse 10. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, 1 John 1, 1.8. So that includes all of us, not just Ronnie. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, there is an enemy of your soul that would love. In fact, uh, his name means accuser, accuser of the brethren. Oh, you're not qualified. You're not worthy. What mm-hmm. will people say? No, 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 mm-hmm. no. Wait a minute. This is in First John two one. Jesus is our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And you better believe your God and Savior is really, really proud of Ronnie. Really proud of you. <laughs> yeah, you still got your stuff. I still do. It's called salvation it's a process you get saved from your sin instantly he saves you of sin's penalty but then he gradually through the course of time makes you increasingly like him and that is a process camera's not on me camera's on you (laughs) camera's not on me thank you phil i appreciate you would you like to close this out in prayer yeah let's do that love that Jesus, we're just thankful that you are the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in you, though he may die, yet shall he live. Lord, in a world where there's so much bad news, we thank you that there is still good news, the good news of the gospel, that you died for our sin, that you rose from the dead, that you're alive today, that you're redeeming a broken creation that's been cursed by sin. I thank you for Ronnie, that, Lord, you have, uh, you have uh, received him as a son and that you love him as a beloved son, and that, Lord, you even now are, are changing him, and that, Lord, he has taken a huge step of faith today. And uh, I just thank you for the, the fearless, courageous thing he's done just to 
put it out there. This is what he is. This is who he is. He's a follower of Jesus, even though he doesn't always get it right. I thank you there's grace for all of us because none of us get it right all the time every day. Just thank you for your grace upon all of our lives. And I would just lift up any of the listeners right now that your blessing will abound upon their life wherever they find themselves spiritually, whatever place they are in that journey, whether they're a believer or not a believer, that they would at least take time for self-introspection, that they would even perhaps have the courage to examine seriously the claims of Christ and find out for themselves what Ronnie and I and Jill have come to the conclusion personally of is that you really are the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God that has the power to forgive our sin, redeem us to a holy God. And we know that one day there's going to be a beautiful new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. So cool. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. Look forward to uh, seeing you on Sunday and hearing what you have coming up next. And uh, hopefully we can be in the deer blind again sometime this fall. That would be great. All right. So for Jillian Gregg, Pastor Phil Hopper, I'm Ronnie Phillips. And uh, thanks again to uh, Dakota Thurn and Quentin Berlinick for uh, being a big inspiration to do this podcast. Rick Hunter and Rich Donovan for producing the imaging elements of the Papa Ron podcast. That is episode 22 with Phil Hopper. You've been listening to the Papa Ron podcast. Enjoyed this show? Hit subscribe now and tell your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other social platforms. To participate on the show, leave a message with your comments or questions by calling or texting 816-558-6389. That's 816-558-6389. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Papa Ron Podcast. Oh.